Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind, that is, the mind of Christ, and to do that, a couple of Christ-confessing Concordians confer with the Book of Concord to conform what we believe, teach, and confess according to Scripture in our Lutheran Confession of the Faith. On today's show, we are continuing our series on the Augsburg Confession, today covering Article 11 on Confession. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, pastor of the Evangelical Lutheran Dual Parish of Emmanuel West Point and St. Paul's Wine Hill in Southern Illinois, and my companion confessor in conversation about this article today is Pastor Mark Burkholz. He is pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Naperville, Illinois. Mr. Burkholz, welcome to Concord Matters. Thank you, Pastor Smith. I appreciate the invitation. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you and today to talk about confession. And really, as we'll see here pretty quickly, we always want to make the point that we're talking about confession and its partner here, absolution. And I know you've got some great stuff for us on that as well. But let's go ahead and begin our discussion by actually reading the article itself from the Augsburg Confession. So once again, a reminder on this show, we read from Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, a reader's edition of the Book of Concord, available to you from Concordia Publishing House, the publishing arm of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And this is Article 11 from the Augsburg Confession on Confession. Our churches, that is the Lutheran churches, teach that private absolution should be retained in the churches, although listing all sins is not necessary for confession. For according to the psalm, it is impossible. Who can discern his errors? And they cite Psalm 19, verse 12. All right, that's the entirety of Article 11 from the Augsburg Confession on Confession there. Pastor Burkholz, pretty short there. Second week in a row where, you know, two lines and we're done with the article, and yet we're going to make a whole show out of this. I do think that there is a lot to talk about here, but go ahead and get us started with, obviously, there's a lot that could be said about confession. I feel like I'm saying that a lot here with each of these articles, but they keep it very brief and to the point here. What's in focus for the Lutheran confessors as they approach this article here in the Augsburg Confession? So there's two things that are specifically mentioned here with regard to confession. First, right out of the gate, just that private absolution should be retained. They're not getting rid of it. They're not calling for the immediate cessation or suspension of this practice. As we'll see throughout the course of our discussion, Luther found this to be a very, very helpful and salutary practice for the churches of the Reformation and moving forward. So they want to make it clear to their Roman opponents and others uh, who would be hearing this confession that private confession is a great treasure to the church. It's something that we don't want to lose or get rid of. But there are some issues that need to be clarified or resolved, at least in the way that it's currently being practiced by the Roman Church. And the one that is really focused and zeroed in on here in the Augsburg Confession is the issue of enumeration of all sins, specifically listing 
every sin that you could remember that you have committed since your last confession, which was a requirement. And Luther and the Reformers saw this as a huge burden on consciences, something that people would, Luther particularly, would worry if he had truly remembered all of his sins, if he had mentioned everything that could possibly be a sin. And so they want to issue a correction here by noting that, first of all, this is impossible to list all of our sins. There's a reference to Psalm 19, who can understand his errors, who knows his hidden faults, the idea that we're never fully aware of the complete extent to our sinfulness. There are things that we either do that we don't realize are sinful, that we may not be aware of the cause and the harm and the hurt that we are committing by them, or just simply not having a complete awareness of the scriptures to know what is sinful and what is not. So confession had become a burden in many, many ways for the people of that time. And one of the major issues that Lutheran reformers are searching to reform and to change with this is taking away this need to rack your mind and try to recall every last detail of your life. In many cases, confession was a once a year thing. So can you imagine trying to think of every last sin that you had committed over the course of a year and then thinking that if I don't confess all of these sins, if there are things that I forget, then I may not be truly forgiven and I will need to make up for that somehow. So what the Lutherans are trying to do here, uh, the confessors, are to, first of all, retain this, keep it as a great treasure and benefit to the church, but at the same time, make sure that it's a means of grace, that it's a source of comfort and joy to those who go to it, and not something that will simply further burden you for now all of a sudden, I'm not only feeling guilty for my sins, I may be feeling guilty or fearful that my confession isn't good enough. So it really ends up compounding the problem rather than solving the issue of what do we do with our sins. Yeah, I think you just hit on there. That's a real important focus is that both of these things, if not rightly confessed as the Lutherans have put them forward here, it's not a joy and comfort, as you said, which is what confession and absolution is given to the church for, right? The comfort and consolation of our consciences. And especially if you have to list all those sins, I mean, it just becomes nothing but this gigantic burden. And so we want to talk about where, you know, I kind of gave in my setup there that the topic of the article, at least as we have in the reader's edition, is confession. And I set us up there by saying that, you know, obviously these go together. Can you talk about that a little bit and, and why these go together and how we rightly understand that a little bit? So the emphasis was always, as you mentioned, on the absolution part, the declaration of forgiveness from the pastor as from God himself, the comfort that that brings, and the gospel part of that, where it's all God's work. It's all through the sacrifice of Christ that he bore our sins and he died for them all. He paid the penalty completely. And those words then deliver that gift and that forgiveness, just as Jesus promised as he commissioned the apostles to go out and forgive sins in his name with that promise that if they forgive sins, it's forgiven in heaven as well. So over and over again, throughout Luther's writings and uh, other documents we might go, go through here, the emphasis is always on the absolution part because that's where the gospel is. Unfortunately, though, the previous emphasis was all on the act of the person who's coming to confession. 
the penitent person. And there were kind of three main emphases here in the requirements for making a confession. And one thing that gets brought out in, in the confutation and then in the apology was this requirement, first of all, that this was an annual requirement. So at least once a year, you were required to go before the priest for confession. That was usually done around Easter time so that you could participate in receiving the Lord's Supper at Easter time and were properly prepared for that. And that was formally written into canon law as a result of the Fourth Lateran Council. So 1215, a lot of major decisions made at that council, but one of them was this requirement for annual confession, at least once a year. Of course, you could go more often. Uh, Luther in his days in the monastery was required to go once a week, but for ordinary lay folk, non-religious, they were required to go once a year. And as part of that, and there were really three main emphases to the way the confession was being practiced. The first was contrition, being completely sorry for your sin and recognizing your own guilt, which of course we would say is a, a certainly a necessary thing to be sorry for our sins, to realize what we've done. But the way it was presented was if you weren't sufficiently sorry for your sins, if you didn't really feel bad enough for them, then perhaps your confession wasn't sincere. Perhaps that didn't count. So again, the burden goes on the person making the confession to really, truly feel sorry enough. The second part, is, as we mentioned, was this listing of all the sins that were committed since the last confession, all those that could be, be remembered and would be necessary to get out there. And then the third is this act of penance. So even though Jesus died for our sins, there was this teaching that guilt from our sins still needed to be resolved on our part by something that we would do. So the person coming to confession would be required to do something to make up that penalty that their sins had deserved. So they might be told to say a certain number of prayers, to fast, to perhaps go on a pilgrimage, something like that, to make up for their sins. And really, the pronouncing of the absolution wasn't a main focus of the whole act. So it's noteworthy there that the confessors, that Melanchthon and the rest of them put absolution straight up as the main point of this, and that comes through in the catechism as well. So they're really refocusing what's going on here. So then when the computation comes and the response to the Augsburg Confession. On the one hand, they say that this should be accepted because it's in harmony with our faith. They bring in John 20, where in the upper room on Easter evening, Jesus frees on his disciples and, as we mentioned, made that promise that they would be able to forgive sins on Christ's behalf. But then they bring in this canon, this law that was added at the Fourth Lateran Council of that all of these sins must be spoken, all that can occur to your memory in, in this investigation. And that idea of investigation is, is a big thing here, because the priests at that point were being taught and instructed to guide the person coming through confession and maybe help them remember their sins. So there were these confessional manuals that were published, so that priests would have ideas of sins to suggest that maybe you forgot, and they were often organized according to 
somebody's vocation. So if you're a mother, you might have maybe neglected your children or, or things like that. And they, there were specific sins that they would suggest to people that perhaps you forgot about this and remember you might have done that. And this then almost amounted to a torturous experience because the priest is then essentially grilling the people on their life and prying and trying to discover where they might have, have sinned. So that was the big thing that the computation wanted to bring back in was this idea of listing, remembering all of your sins. Uh, they do acknowledge at the end of the computation that, sure, you might have forgotten some, and they do quote Psalm 19 back to the Lutherans, but they really want to get this point across that if you don't speak it, if you don't remember it, then you really can't count on that being forgiven. So that was the computation's response. And then coming back with the apology, it's basically refuting that idea that sins need to be, first of all, that the confession needs to be done annually, but also that all of the sins that you have committed must be remembered and must be brought to mind. And they admit, they say, this is something that's happening in our churches because we are encouraging people to come to the Lord's Supper, because we are expecting them to come to confession before the Lord's Supper. People in our congregations are coming more than once a year. We don't need to burden them with another requirement. We just need to encourage them to come and to receive this gift rather than giving them a new law, making up something more to burden them with. Yeah, I think it's, we often say, you know, as we come through the Reformation, it was a true intent to reform, right? It was to get rid of the abuses. And I think you accented really well there that clearly the abuse and even what they come back with in the confutation is, no, we still think it should essentially be a law that you have to confess, right? And that's just not the focus of scripture at all. And I think that the um, Lutherans have some great points when they respond to that confutation that are highlighted throughout the apology. Do you want to bring some of those in here for us then? Certainly. So in the apology, they're treating confession and your next program when dealing with repentance ties us in pretty well because it all, all certainly goes together. But they bring in the point that the power is in the absolution and not the confession itself, that it's God's work here. And that's where our comfort comes from and not our own ability to confess. So the role of the pastor in this situation is to be, first of all, to teach and to help people understand what's going on here, but not necessarily to burden them with this sort of inquisition almost into their personal life. Here, let me read this just a little bit here. You know, if the pastors are good men, they will know how far it is of advantage to examine them. We do not wish to sanction the torture, uh, I'm just kind of paraphrasing here, because they don't talk about faith. That's the problem they see here is that it doesn't lead towards pointing them to Christ, helping them to see the work of Jesus and to trust in him. That's ultimately where your confession should take you is pointing you to Christ, granting you this opportunity to hear that word of absolution and to strengthen your faith and to trust in him more and more as we recognize the depths of our sin, but 
because of that, we recognize the depth of God's love for us and the, the sacrifice that he made for us. So that's where, and at the end of the apology, this, this topic of faith gets brought in, which we see as a Lutheran emphasis throughout the speaking of the sacraments, that there's the element, there's the word, and then there's faith that receives and trusts in God who's doing that work, whether it's baptism, whether it's the Lord's Supper, or whether it's these words of absolution that are meant to create and strengthen and encourage faith and not to focus so much on the specific work of the confessor or even the pastor itself, but to point to Christ and make that the true source of comfort and hope. And the point that you just made there shows also the connection to, you know, how we're getting here in the Augsburg Confession, that it all flows forth from what we confess about the faith and justification, and that these are gifts of how Christ delivers that to his church, right? And you even mentioned confession in terms of the sacraments here. Now, probably a lot of our listeners, you know, were taught in confirmation, uh, although there's enough of us pastors around that bring this point up as well. But uh, probably a lot of them were taught, you know, that we have two sacraments in the church. And of course, we've just covered those in the last two articles, baptism and the Lord's Supper. But yet confession is included here as part of that. Can you go ahead and talk about that? And what's that going on for us as Lutherans? And how is it being viewed here in terms of the Augsburg Confession? Uh it's going to get really confusing today. I should have said that in the setup. You know, we're going to talk about confession a lot. And so maybe we should even talk about what that word means. But uh, let's deal with this first in terms of its relation to the sacraments. Sure. So in confirmation class, most people, a lot of Lutherans will learn that a sacrament is something that is, first of all, instituted by Christ, not something that the church has later come up with on its own or made up. So it starts with Jesus, that it gives us God's gifts of forgiveness, life, and salvation, that that's the benefit that God promises to give through those things. And then usually there's the the mention that it has to have some sort of a visible, concrete, physical element to it. So with holy baptism, that would be the water. With the Lord's Supper, that would be the bread and wine. And so as we have that initial definition, uh, in most people's minds, then confession and absolution doesn't count or doesn't fit that definition because there's no visible element. I've heard some people try to make the case, well, you know, the pastor is somehow kind of physically the means of grace at that point, or the words that he's speaking are causing a physical reaction with people. But I think that's really just trying to grasp the straws to make the definition fit. But we can take a step back and say that we don't have such a narrow definition of the sacraments as that. That may be an easy way to understand it and maybe to teach to younger people, but as we work our way through the Book of Concord, there's no technical, official definition of a sacrament. There's uh, Melanchthon will say, well, if we were to use this definition of a sacrament, then this would fit, but we don't, first of all, come up with a definition of a sacrament and then see what fits that or what doesn't, because each one of these different means of grace have having equality to it. And sometimes if we come up with a broad category, we lose what makes each one special. So the reason we can kind of talk about private confession and absolution as a sacrament, as something that gives us grace and forgiveness of God, is this promise that's attached to it through Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus tells his disciples to go out and forgive sins and give that promise that when they speak those words of forgiveness, they're speaking for Christ. Specifically within the Augsburg Confession, 
you just look at the way things are structured. You have those previous articles. Article 9 and 10 are on baptism and the Lord's Supper. 11 is on confession. 12 has to do with repentance, which is really this war on confession absolution. And then if you look at Article 13, we have the use of the sacraments, which would seem to apply to those articles that we just covered, baptism, Lord's Supper, and confession and, and repentance. And then kind of flowing into Article 14, who can do this? Well, you're called by God through the church, and only those rightly called men should be the ones who are going to change the sacraments. So within the flow of the Augsburg Confession, private confession fits right in with baptism and the Lord's Supper as ways that we receive forgiveness from God. So you could debate for a while, is this a sacrament or not a sacrament? But that's not the point. The point is, what a great gift this is, what a blessing that we have to have our Lord send us pastors to speak for him, to give us comfort and forgiveness by pointing us to Christ and his death and resurrection to us. So it's certainly fine to talk about it in, in sacramental terms or as a means of grace because it has the promise of Christ. It gives us forgiveness and we can rejoice in that. I like how you're emphasizing for us uh, multiple different ways and keeping at the clear focus that for us as Lutherans, our Lutheran position is that this is focused on the gospel, and that's why it's accented the absolution and so forth. And that's the right way to understand confession, and that because of kind of the legalistic approach of the Roman Catholics, we want to have that clear definition. Uh, also related to that, as I brought in, and maybe should have brought in earlier, but I think we can still talk at this point, when we use the term confession, what does that term itself mean? Because we do see this come up. Obviously, this is the Augsburg Confession we're working through, and then the article on confession. And it would seem that those words are related, but then not being used in quite the same way, obviously, here, because the Lutheran confessors are not confessing their sins. They're making statements of faith. So go ahead and talk about that relation there. Sure. So it is a word that we use in a couple different ways, but at its root, it's a compound word that comes from the Latin, con meaning together with, and then citior being a way to be translated as speaking or talking. So we are saying the same thing, or we are saying something with everyone together. So when it comes to a confession of faith, such as the Augsburg Confession or any of the creeds, we are saying the same thing as everyone around us and as the Lord himself says to us. The confessors were basically saying, we are saying what the scriptures say. We are saying what the church has always said, at least going back to the beginning and the church fathers. We're not adding anything new. This isn't our innovative ideas, but this is a confession because we are saying the same thing that God says and the same thing that the church says. We are agreeing with them. When it comes to our own confession of sins, what we are doing when we confess our sins is we are saying the same thing about ourselves as what God says about us. So the reason we say that we're sinners isn't because we've somehow figured that out on our own, but that's what God says to us in his word of law, that if you do these things, if you say these things, if you think these things, if you fail to do these things, then you are sinful, and there is consequences to that. And when we confess our sins, we are saying, I agree with God. I am saying the same thing that God says about me, that I am sinful, that 
I have sinned against him in thought, word, and deed by what I've done and by what I haven't done. And we have that general confession in the beginning of our divine services. We are agreeing with what God says about us. We are saying the same thing that he says to us in the Holy Scriptures, that yes, we are sinful, that we are deserving of nothing but wrath and punishment. But then we can go on to confess our faith in the gospel that God loves us despite our sinfulness, that the death and resurrection of Christ brings us forgiveness and everlasting life, so we can confess that as well. But then again, that word confess means to say the same thing, whether it's confessing our faith with one another or confessing our sinfulness before God. Excellent. And you highlighted there once again for us that the focus is on that gospel gift of what confession gives to us, and it leads us to that absolution, that grace of God for us. And we want to keep that in focus. We're going to take a break here, but obviously, as we brought in a few times with the Roman Catholic focus more on kind of the legalistic approach to confession, and we saw that in their response to the confutation and so forth, at times, even still today, that's still thought of in those terms, and I think, and probably you've experienced as well, that uh, not many Lutherans really take much use of, especially the gift of private confession and absolution. But it's very much in focus here that it says that our churches teach that the private absolution should be retained in the churches. And so we want to talk about where the Lutheran confessors and Lutherans have always talked about and encouraged the retention of this great gift and get into some things about how we can encourage and make use of this practice in our own faith and life as Christians on the other side of the break. As we continue talking with our guest today, Pastor Mark Burkholz, I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, and you're listening to Concord Matters on KFUO. Every Sunday, you are invited to dig into the scriptures with God's people at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere, Missouri. This in-depth Bible class goes verse by verse through the scriptures, pointing out the meaning of the text and its application for Christians today. Recordings of prior classes are available on kfuo.org in the St. Paul's Bible class section. Grow in your knowledge and understanding of scripture every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. on KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime, anywhere. Welcome back to Concord Matters as we continue talking with our guest, Pastor Mark Burkholz. He is pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Naperville, Illinois. And today we are covering Article 11 from the Augsburg Confession, which is on confession. And Pastor Burkholz, just before break there, you were giving us an excellent foundation to work from here in how we rightly understand confession, both that the focus for the Lutherans is on that gospel gift that confession gives to us but then also what we're doing in confession, how we understand that term and what that term means, which is the same say, to say the same thing. And so, especially with that foundation of understanding that the focus for us as Lutherans is on that absolution, receiving Christ's forgiveness for us. And we saw in the response in the confutation that for the Roman Catholic Church, it's very much a legalistic thing. They want you to do it at least once a year, right? And not to jump straight to the contemporary things. We certainly want to get to that here in the second half. But uh, in our day and age, we certainly see that especially private confession absolution, which the Lutheran confessors say should be retained, 
in the churches, that that has fallen out of disuse in most of our congregations. I mean, I've been a pastor for, I'm in my 11th year as a pastor now. And aside from my confirmands who I walk through and encourage this and, and a few others that have kind of come in that way to being trained and making use of this great gift and so forth, I can say with certainty that no one has ever called me up and said, pastor, I'd like to come in for confession or, you know, when you make it available, it's a whole teaching process and so forth. And then even then very few come at all, let alone once a year. And we don't want to become legalistic about it, but we certainly do want to retain it. And the Lutheran confessors have always kind of seen this happen and they've written other places about it as well. So go ahead and walk us through some of the places where as Lutherans, we really are serious that we want to retain this gift, building off that foundation of why it is such a gift to us in the church. Sure. So this idea of people not coming to confession, not either knowing about it or wanting to is certainly not something new. And even in the same time that this Augsburg Confession is being written and published, Luther had written a year prior in 1529 an exhortation to confession. So he has already in the territories of the Reformation lifted this requirement, this annual law to come to confession. And Luther's seeing that unfortunately people are starting to abuse this liberty that now that they don't have to, there's no legal requirement to, they are deciding not to on their own. And he's very frustrated. He uses some of his characteristically strong and colorful language to describe the situation. But he is very disappointed that by removing the law, the requirement to do so, people are just not doing it at all. So he writes an exhortation to confession, on many editions of the Book of Concord, it's added to the end of the large catechism. You can probably find that pretty easily. But it had been required, but now that it's not, they are making almost pigs of themselves as some of the languages that he uses. He is almost saying, well, you were better off when you at least had to do it because it would make sure that you would do it. He's again kind of speaking hyperbolically here. But he said, if you truly realize what a great gift this was, you would go to any length to get it. You would beg your pastors to hear your confession. You would travel any distance it would take to get to a place where you could hear and receive that wonderful gift. So he really wants to impress upon the people how important this is, what a great blessing it is, how this can bring you hope and comfort in a unique way. It's a little bit different than the other means of grace, and it has a special gift connected with it, and he wants people to recognize and receive and rejoice in that. But of course, he's very frustrated that now that they're not with you, they're not coming. Uh, A portion of the catechism that goes through confession, it's there with the Office of the Keys, just a few simple questions that help point us in the right direction as to what confession absolution is all about. First, with just that basic question, what is confession? Well, confession has two parts. First, that we confess our sins, but then that we receive forgiveness or absolution from the pastor as from God himself, and by that, trust and know that our sins are forgiven before God in heaven. So he emphasizes again that the whole point of this is to hear those words of grace and comfort and forgiveness for you. But of course, you know, it it begins with your own confession, with your admitting your guilt. So the question comes next, well, what sins should we confess? 
And he mentions that there are other ways to get forgiveness. You don't have to go to a pastor to get forgiveness. You can pray as we do in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses. We know that God hears those prayers. We know that we're forgiven for Jesus' sake. And we can rejoice that we can pray to God at any time and any circumstance and know that, that we're forgiven. And also, he mentions in, in the exhortation as well that when we hurt someone directly, when we cause harm to them, we should go and apologize and ask for forgiveness from them as well. Of course, it ultimately comes from Christ, but we speak those words of forgiveness to one another. Uh, so if I were to do or say something that was harmful to my wife or my kids or my congregation, I would certainly confess those sins to God, but I should go to them and apologize and, and ask for their forgiveness. But he says, before the pastor, you should confess those sins that you know and feel in your heart. So sins that are particularly bothering you, that you are being convicted of by the Word of God, that you're having a hard time, that you're struggling with, those are the ones that you should speak to the pastor. And Luther says to consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. This is his substitution for these long, drawn-out confessional manuals. And I think this is really a helpful way for us as we're preparing for confession. Best of all, before your pastor, but even before a church service or another time when you're going to be making a general confession, well, what sin should I confess? Well, first it says, consider your station in life. So where are you? Where has God placed you? Who are the people God has put around you? Because those are the people you are going to be sinning against. You're not likely to be sinning against random strangers miles and miles away. But the people that you see every day, your family members, people in maybe your workplace or in your neighborhood, in your congregation, those are the people that you are likely to be seeing against. Uh, Dr. Kleinig talks a lot about thinking about this in terms of who has authority over you. Are you being respectful or are you being rebellious towards them? Are you honoring the fourth commandment with regard to those people who have authority over you in your life? And also, who are the people you have authority over? Who are the people who have been entrusted to your care? And those are the people and the circumstances and the situations you should consider when it comes time to confession. How have you loved or failed to love those people? And then as you think about those people, use the Ten Commandments then as the mirror or the rule to determine whether or not your conduct towards them has been sinful. Sometimes there are things that we do that we may feel bad about or may make us feel guilty, but in honesty, they aren't sinful. Or likewise, there may be things that we do that we think we're justified in doing, but the closer we read the commandments, we see that, yes, we did sin in those cases. So that's the judge of whether things are actually sins and whether they should be confessed is whether the commandments have been broken. And I have this conversation every once in a while with people who come to see me as a pastor and they feel guilty about something. And well, we take out the Ten Commandments and we talk about what may be done here. So that's really our guide for confession. What is your place? What is your station in life? And what do the Ten Commandments have to say about that? Going back to Luther's day, these confessional manuals, what people were being taught to confess, were often things that were violation of human traditions, but not really sinful. So maybe if somebody, for example, ate meat on a Friday, that may violate a human tradition, but it's not sinful. So that was another place where these corrections had to be made towards the way that it was being done in that Roman Catholic system, where not only were they 
requiring confession and making it a burdensome thing for you, but they were also adding sins that really weren't sins after all. So all of that goes into Luther's continued teaching and encouragement towards confession. But as you know, it's something that we haven't quite recaptured. Uh, Once upon a time, there was an expectation that before you came to the Lord's Supper, that you would announce that to your pastor in advance, that you would have some sort of a meeting or conversation with him. And that could be a possible opportunity for confession absolution to naturally come from that. But in most parishes, to my knowledge, that's not really practiced, or at least not the way that it it used to be once upon a time. Uh, For myself as a pastor, I really see two times when private confession happens with the people that God has called me to serve. There's an informal and a more formal confession. Sometimes I'll simply be having a conversation with somebody in my office or wherever they want to talk to me, and it becomes pretty clear that they're struggling with issues of guilt and remorse for things that they've done. And at that point, I'm not going to say, okay, let's go through the whole formal private confession out of the hymnal. Maybe so. But in many cases, they've already confessed their sins. They're already looking for God's word of grace and forgiveness. So I'll just simply ask them, do you believe the forgiveness I speak is from Christ himself? And assuming they say yes, I'll pronounce the absolution right then and there. And then continue on with our conversation about what would come next. So very often as a pastor, those are some opportunities that God gives me to use this gift of private confession. But there are times where there may be set times where a pastor is available for confession or making it clear that if and when this is something you would desire, that this is something that is available. I like you mentioned that this is something you went through with your catechumens and confirmands. This is something that obviously I include with my confirmation instruction as well, as well as new member classes, people coming in, because frankly, it's something that has been lost and is a great treasure that's worth regaining and experiencing. Uh, Speaking for myself, this was not anything that I was ever taught to do or was part of my upbringing. I didn't even realize that Lutherans did this or even had this as an option, probably till I got to college and I was preparing to be a pastor and learning a little bit more. But then even after that, even after I had the head knowledge and kind of understood that this is a good thing, that this would be beneficial, It's really hard to do the first time. It's hard to take that initial step and call your pastor or even just show up because it's new, because it's very personal, but it is something that I eventually was able to get over and found my pastor and went to confession with him. And I have to admit that, you know, Luther was right in all this as much as I was afraid of it and that had built up in my head that this was going to be such a terrible experience. Uh, pastor didn't cry. He didn't berate me. He didn't kind of make me feel bad. I, I felt bad enough going in. But to hear those spoken words of comfort directly to me was such a great relief. And that's what people often need to know is people will say, well, why do I have to come to private confession? Can't I just pray to God by myself? Why do I need somebody else in between me and God to pronounce these things? And again, that's taking a very legalistic approach and making it a a law or requirement. What I love the most about private confession is that 
I get to hear those words of forgiveness spoken and applied directly to me, directly to my sins and the specific issues that I'm facing in life. It's different than just having that moment of silence in the divine service where you kind of reflect on the past few days and have this really general word of forgiveness spoken. But to have that medicine, those healing words directly spoken to me in my situation is a very comforting, a very powerful thing. And that's really what the specific gift that we get from private confession that we don't necessarily hear. When we pray, we don't hear the voice of God booming from heaven that our sins are forgiven. That's what he put the pastor there for, to be his voice, to be his mouthpiece, to speak those words for the Holy Spirit to do his work through those words, to forgive our sins, to strengthen our faith, to set us free. That's how our liturgy ends with that private confession. Go, you are free. And we leave feeling that freedom that we have in Christ, not being burdened to go and somehow make up for our sins or not with that burden of trying to remember, did I really make a good confession? Did I feel sorry enough? Did I remember everything? None of that. You're just simply set free. You're encouraged to come quickly to the Lord's Supper to receive again that grace and forgiveness from Christ. And that's what makes this such a joy that's worth taking the time to teach about, to encourage people to, whether it's young kids or older adults, and trying to be good stewards of this great gift that we've been entrusted to us, that the confessors have encouraged us to do, that is within our own history as a Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. There's plenty of times that we've said this in our official writings and informal writings too, that this is a great thing and it's worth taking the time to introduce people to it and to encourage them to make use of. Yeah, I agree that uh, it's, I think, a common experience for a lot of us that as we grew up in the church, it just wasn't taught, it wasn't there. And I don't know exactly where it fell off. I, I, I'd be interested if you happen to have any thoughts on that. I do know you mentioned in there that it used to be the practice in Lutheran churches, Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate churches, that uh, you would announce for communion. And that was to be an opportunity. I know that at the dual parish I serve here, some of the older members still remember the time when they came and announced for communion. But as I've talked about these things with them, they said, oh, no, we never did confession. You know, it was literally just drive by the pastor's parsonage yeah. and just pop in and say, yeah, I'm taking communion. Right. And I think that that, you know, announcing for communion and all of those sorts of things fell out of practice because it wasn't being used as this time for this great gift either. And so then it just becomes about putting my name on, on a list and, right. and what's the point of that. And you can certainly understand all of those things. You also mentioned in there, too, Luther's exhortation to confession. And one of the things that we have gone through on this show in the reader's edition of the Book of Concord, it's included in the appendix. It's one of the right. appendix. I forget which one. But we actually did an episode on that and went through that as well. And it was brought out on that episode. One of the tools that's really great. You talked about, you know, how how we're encouraged to use the Ten Commandments in preparing for confession and so forth. And mentioned the confession mirror. And then there's a German word for it that I butcher all the time. So I'm not going to say it this time, but uh, you know, it's a great tool. And that's something that I have used as well in my own pastoral ministry. And I specifically use it with my catechumens and confirmands as they prepare to receive the Lord's supper. 
And it's something I use personally when I go to my own father confessor, uh, my own pastor, to prepare for confession, but also to prepare as I prepare every Saturday evening to receive the Lord's Supper in divine service that I'll be leading on Sundays. I use the confession mirror to go through and make sure that I am properly prepared to receive that forgiveness. And so uh, with all of those practices, you also brought in there then too, in the first segment, you talked about how the apology talks about this connection with receiving the sacrament. So it's been highlighted here several times of these things that uh, we use in preparation for the sacrament. And that might be what you would call the more formal private confession and absolution, having specific times available and those sorts of things. Uh, Certainly always a gift that's always available to you. And I agree when you make use of it, it is just a wonderfully, beautifully freeing, comforting gift that you'll want to use more. Luther was right on that. But talk a little bit more about this connection with being done in preparation for communion. Why would the Lutherans talk about it in that sense? Once again, retaining that, obviously it was kind of a mandated thing for the Roman Catholic Church, but what's the benefit for us in preparing to go to communion and making use of confession absolution? Sure. Yeah, and it is explicit there in the confessions that we don't communion anyone unless they've been examined and absolved and retain that liturgy sometimes in our right for first communion or confirmation that this absolution is part of the, the preparation that, that leads into that. And when we consider the nature of the Lord's Supper, that certainly makes good sense. The Lord's Supper is for sinners only. And we come to the Lord's Supper to receive forgiveness for our sins, and we don't hold anything that we've done outside of the forgiveness of Christ. So as we receive and we rejoice in that gift of the Lord's Supper, we come to our Lord's table confessing our sinfulness, acknowledging that before Him, and coming as beggars to receive that treasure of, of the Lord's Supper. So this act of confession and receiving forgiveness then really highlights who we are and what God has done for us, and that all becomes very concrete, very alive for us as we come to the Lord's Supper and we receive that gift of forgiveness. So whether it's coming to private confession or whether it's using those confessional resources prior to the service, using that general confession that's usually a part of our service at the beginning, all of that is helping us to recognize the reason why we need the Lord's Supper, the reason why we need the death and resurrection of Christ, and then that great blessing and benefit that's offered to us in that holy meal. So go ahead and give us then your thoughts as we get in kind of to the contemporary application here. What are some ways that we can reclaim this wonderful practice as Lutherans? Obviously, that's the focus. They say it should be retained. We've talked about its connection with the Lord's Supper. What are some other ways that this can be reclaimed and made use of as a beautiful gift within our churches? Sure. I think it just begins by acknowledging the fact that there's a lot of misinformation and misconception about what confession is and what it's all about. Most people will, when you talk about this, they'll just kind of picture what they've seen on TV or in the movies about the two little booths and the priest on the one side of the screen and They don't recognize that maybe when I talk about private confession, I'm not asking them to do that. So it kind of begins by acknowledging that what we're talking about is going to be new and different and maybe getting rid of some of those 
misconceptions about it. Uh, we can include it in our regular teaching and in our preaching as well, as we are directing people towards the means of grace and the ways to receive the gifts of God. I think we're good as Lutherans about drawing on holy baptism and the Lord's Supper in a, a lot of our preaching, but to include confession and forgiveness as a regular way to do that and to have our confirmands, our catechumens, our new people coming in, walk through it, go through it a few times. So this even maybe for the first time, have people come to me and just make a, a general confession, say, okay, the first time you come, you don't have to name any specific sins. You don't have to say anything personal if you don't want to, but we're just going to go through it as a general confession so you get used to and comfortable what's going on because it can be very scary and intimidating. But then to talk personally as well that you know I as a pastor still go for a confession. I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not doing myself, and here's why I value it so much. Here's why it's such a great gift to me. And I'm simply inviting you to share in that. I want you to have that same assurance of forgiveness, that same comfort that I'm receiving. So I'm not asking you to do anything I'm not already doing. It's a wonderful, great blessing to me, and I'm going to make it available to you. Uh, that can be, as we mentioned already, in a set so people don't actually have to take that step of calling the pastor or emailing and setting up an appointment, just saying, if you come to church during these times, I'll be here for you. And giving people that opportunity to experience it in such a way. And also being able to talk about how this is something that goes back to the time of the confessions and goes back to Luther. And it's not only a Roman Catholic thing or only some sort of new practice that we're springing on people who've been faithful Lutherans all their life and never heard of it. It may not be something you're familiar with, but it is a great practice that is something encouraged by our Lutheran confessions, our Lutheran fathers in the faith, and it's something worth experiencing and continuing on as they encourage us to do. You mentioned in there the importance of teaching about it as well, and one of the things that I've kind of stumbled on in my own pastoral ministry was just how frequently in our day and age people will run off to counseling for all sorts of things that they're clearly dealing with a lot of guilt and things like that. Right. And by all means, make use of those gifts that are available in other professions and resources and so forth. But I've learned to really encourage and teach my folks that if you're going for counseling for something, I can almost guarantee you that there is something in there that is causing guilt or shame and could use the gift of confession and absolution. And you can be going to the best counselor that's providing a lot of practical advice on how to care for things in that matter, but they cannot give you the gifts that Christ gives to the pastoral office and to the church in this absolution. And so I've really learned to highlight, you know, if you're going to counseling for anything, come see me for private confession and absolution as well. And you'll find that they work together in tandem really well. But I think that also speaks to that misinformation and misconceptions that sometimes people have and sometimes leads to that informal confession absolution you were talking about as well, is that they think that the pastor is just a counselor and we're actually pretty weak counselors, most of us, right? So right. we don't even do a very good job. Right. So, I mean, what's your kind of thoughts on 
helping our people understand that relationship. Right. Yeah. And you're right. It goes both ways because at least for many, many years, pastors have kind of seen themselves as amateur counselors or therapists and they, they come and they chat and pastors need to be aware that that's not necessarily what God has put them there to do, but to forgive sin and to have those antennas up and to be ready and prepared to go into those situations. Uh, but a couple other things to note here. One of the big topics that often comes up connected with private confession and absolution is if or how anything spoken would ever be repeated or disclosed in any situation. People will usually bring up situations like if a crime has been committed and somebody confesses that to you, do you have an obligation to report that, particularly when it comes to situations involving children or, or other things like that? And obviously, people are not going to feel comfortable coming to confession if they think there's any possibility that what they say could be repeated in another context. So it's important to emphasize the ordination vows that all pastors take to never divulge the sins that are spoken in private confession. It's a strong word, but it is there. Never. There is never a case where a pastor would speak what's been spoken to him in confession, because you're not coming to him, you're coming to the Lord, and he has no right then to take what you've spoken to the Lord and disclose it anywhere else. So if he were to do such a thing, then he could no longer be a pastor. That's the way I usually put it to folks. If I were to ever take what you've told me in confession and repeat it, whether you know, privately to my wife or to another pastor or you know, taking it to the government, to the police, anything like that, that would be grounds for me to be removed from the pastoral office. That being said, if obviously if things come out in the course of confession that are potentially causing a danger to yourself or people around you, I am going to encourage you and do the best I can to get you ongoing help or assistance or whatever that might require. But I'm not going to be the one to pick up the phone and call the cops on you if you say something to me that I think you might be guilty of committing a crime. So that can be another way to encourage people to come to confession, knowing that nothing that you speak to him is going to be repeated elsewhere. And people are kind of used to this with lawyers and, and that, and so they, they should be able to, to recognize this as a another possible benefit. It's kind of like when you go to see your doctor. Uh, you may have to admit some things to your doctor that you might find a little bit embarrassing or uncomfortable. But in the end, the pastor is there to grant you healing and to make sure that you receive the best treatment that you can. The same thing with your pastor. He's not there to judge you or to look down on you or to have any sort of a attitude towards you other than how can I bring healing and comfort and life to this person in the situation they're going through. So maybe thinking about it in those sort of terms and using analogies from other situations people are more used to or more comfortable with seeing their pastor in that light might be a way to make them a little bit less apprehensive or anxious about coming for confession. Yeah, you talk about like talking to your doctor and people have no problem going to counselors because they have that assurance of kind of the legal, you know, that this is kept private and so forth. And I think it's important to highlight that the role of the pastor is is the same. You know, we care for the souls like doctors care for the body. And I often put it this way. I put it very strongly. And, and I agree with you that 
you know, that pastor shouldn't be a pastor anymore if he's divulging that. And I always say, if you ever find a pastor that puts any qualifiers on anything that he will divulge this or that, you know, if it involves, and obviously these are horrible things like the abuse of children and those sorts of things. I'm sorry, that's a violation of what he promised and vowed in his ordination and affirmed at his installation as pastor of that congregation. And so, uh, you know, if you ever find a pastor that puts qualifiers on it, don't go to that pastor for a confession. He can't be trusted. So keep this quiet. And so, uh, excellent. Yeah, there's so much more we could say on this. We, We have about one minute left here. You've given us great foundation. How does this connect and set up what's coming next in the Augsburg Confession for us? So the next section is on repentance, which follows this thought about how do we deal with sin, particularly after baptism. And then flowing on to that, we get a little bit more on the sacraments in 13 about the sacraments working in the faith that connects with that, that it's not something that happens automatically. You'll probably talk about ex opera operato, learn more Latin there, but that faith is a part of all of this. And then finally, in Article 14, where we get to God putting people into office, calling them to speak these words of forgiveness and grace, how all of this comes to life within the church. So all of these articles together point to this as being God's work for us, this gift that conveys grace and strengthens our faith. And as we go back to that chief article, Article 4, that that is the way that we are saved. So this is all flows together into who we are as a church, what Jesus has done for us, and how we can have that hope of salvation through him. All right, that is what's coming next in the Augsburg Confession, especially next week as we will look at Article 12 on repentance. For today, thank you, Pastor Mark Merkels, for joining us on Concord Matters and teaching us this Lutheran confession of confession from Article 11 of the Augsburg Confession. It's been a pleasure having you join us today. Thank you, Pastor Smith. It's been my pleasure. And thank you also, dear listener, for stopping by today. And until next time, keep confessing, church. Church.